welcome aboard. Welcome to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations. If you feel a bit awkward in life, if you feel like there's no room at the table for you, if you feel that your voice is not being heard, you're welcome here. There's no entrance examination or fees. All we suggest is you have the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. Welcome aboard at the Full Impact Mindfulness, where we help people create their lives rather than find themselves, to connect people with their authentic self, and we challenge people to participate in their lives. So if you're ready for a little explosion, if you're ready to have a beginner's mind, welcome aboard. And as always, I'm Jim Ellermeyer, I'm a behavioral health therapist, and today I'm joined by my good friend and co-host and producer of this program, Mr. Mike. And this evening we also have a special guest, I guess one of the uh, mentors, one of the spiritual mentors in my life, who as we flow through life, we happen to uh, bump into people, some of them stick, some are more uh, consequential in your life than others, and uh, my friend here this evening is certainly one of those individuals who me meeting him was a momentous turn in my life, and that individual would be uh, Mr. Joe Marchesani. Joe, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. So if you had to introduce yourself to or describe yourself to, let's say, a being from another planet, how would you describe yourself, Joe? I would say I'm human. <laughs> Um, that my life journey has taken a long time to come to fruition. Um, I'm probably in a better place now than I have ever been previously. And I'm hoping that, uh, the things I'm doing for myself now will continue that trajectory. Well, we try to impress on people that everything changes in life. The wheel's constantly turning, and we're constantly evolving, morphing, and changing according mm -hmm. to situations. However, it's, I don't know what it is. Perhaps you could explain it better than myself. It's this humanness of ours that seemed that we want to impose structure on everything. And we're unable to accept the fact that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. So could you talk a little bit to us about your evolution, your, the changes of, because you're certainly not the same person that I even met a few years ago. Uh, that would be correct. <laughs> and uh, yes, I would say, oh, maybe just uh, about five, six years ago, um, I had reached uh, a point in my life where I was recognizing that uh, whatever I had been doing to try to lead a fulfilling life um, had not really been working. Um, there were lots of reasons for that, but uh, certainly one of them was that I had grown up with a disposition to, uh, with a, a need I felt to appear more perfect than inside I really could be. And um, also that uh, I could put out a sense of camaraderie and interest in other people, but I was very conscious that most of the time that was a front. It was a defensive um, strategy, not always conscious, but definitely there and pervasive, that said I needed to appear as uh, an open and receptive person, 
uh, in order to have other people approve of me. And I wasn't able to get a sense of um, that approval. I wasn't able to develop a sense that uh, I was a worthwhile human being. And I'm pretty sure now that I'm not the only person that has gone through that kind of life experience. Um, I think it did probably take me a little bit longer to uh, recognize what was going on and to find ways and uh, things like recovery programs and yoga and some other things that uh, I've been doing that have been helping me then to move through that sense of self, which is pretty much ego and will-based in my part, and find um, that the only way to really come to one's true sense of self um, involves a much deeper spiritual awareness and an ability to apply that um, not only to my relationship with myself, but to my relationship with other people. So what you're talking about, and I think many of our listeners out there can resonate with you, Joe, that when we're young or even when we're older, we go through our life's journey, that although we may truly love ourselves, we seem to take much more importance of others' opinions of us rather than our opinions of ourselves. Uh, absolutely. I think that uh, as very conscious, um, as I was finishing my schooling, basically, that um, I had a degree of intelligence. That's what I had always been um, acknowledged for by my parents, by my family, by friends. And at the same time, um, there was an emotional blockage, uh, I guess would be the, the best way to put it, that I did not trust other people to allow myself to be uh, truly vulnerably and honest about um, how I was feeling inside. I felt I needed to screen that out, um, that it would make me uh, seem like a lesser person. Uh, and I didn't want that. I wanted to feel like a greater person than the other people. So what you're talking about, what I hear you saying, Joe, is that uh, you recognized that you had some gifts, talents, and abilities. Okay. Mm -hmm. However, it sounds like that inner dialogue that was going on inside you was perhaps aching for an outlet, however it wasn't expressed. Um, that would be true. Um, the inner dialogue was always self-critical, um, always emphasizing the inadequacies that I perceived, because finally it's impossible for a human being to be as perfect as that inner dialogue was suggesting I needed to be. So when did you first recognize that perhaps this inner dialogue was not helpful to you? Or how, how long have you heard that in your life? When did, when did it really first start to manifest itself? Well, I'm pretty sure that that inner dialogue began all the way back when I was probably still in school. Um, and it came to seem normal. And so it persisted for decades. Um, when I started recognizing the delusion of that inner dialogue, um, I had already retired from my career as a college prof. And um, stepping away from academia, I discovered I didn't really have um, a sense of myself and what I needed to do. Uh, certainly nothing that had any um, spiritual quality to it. Uh, and in the three years after I retired, um, essentially I found myself narrowing uh, 
uh, my focus uh, on life becoming more and more restricted, becoming more and more self-isolated. Um, I don't know that I would say that was a, a diagnosis of agoraphobia, but I reached a point where there were days where I could not even leave my house, basically. So when, if, let's imagine we were time lords for a moment, okay? okay? And if you could go back and if you could sit down with a 13, 14, 15-year-old Joe Marchesani, mm -hmm. what would you have to say to them? Ooh, a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, I think from this end, I recognize that I needed to go through those experiences before I could really appreciate the changes that I needed to make, um, to adapt. But I would certainly be much more reassuring. Um, I would probably enter into a dialogue with that younger self. Um, it's a dialogue that, in fact, I have undertaken as an adult in recent years. Um, call it my inner child, whatever you want. But it's that part of me that um, became emotionally stunted and blockaded. And I would um, now be able, I think, as an adult, to sit down with that inner child and say, tell me where you are. Tell me what's bothering you. Tell me what you're trying to do mm. in response to that. And then be able to share my subsequent life experience now and say, you know, you were doing the best you could at that point, but you didn't have the tools that you needed. You didn't have the life skills for whatever reason to be able to work your way out of that by yourself. And the isolating that you've been doing, uh, the way you've been screening yourself off from true intimacy with other people, um, can't really be um, diminished until you have a greater sense of your own value as a human being. So there's many people out there who can resonate with what you're saying, Joe. And what we often try to do here is to help people in order to deal with that inner critic, not to make it go away or throw stones at it right. or be mean, is to learn how to speak to yourself as if you were speaking to a friend, which is a real change in dialogue. It's a change in conversation with yourself. And what we encourage people to do is learn how to speak to themselves. And what I was catching from you, Joe, was that sense of loneliness back then, that sense of loneliness, mm -hmm. being misunderstood, being felt that you weren't being heard. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And I think the, the withdrawal, basically, from intimacy, both emotional and, and social, um, definitely uh, comes out of that, that sense that um, I need to protect myself because for whatever reasons, people who are not me feel threatening. And quite frankly, as a human being, as a social animal, we need that kind of connection. I have needed that kind of connection. Um, where I feel that I am unconditionally loved and I can uh, accept that sense that I am lovable as a profound core truth of who I am. Um, and I can then extend and share that with other people. Let's stick with that phrase, that sentence that you said, people who are not me feel threatening. 
Yes. Could you explain that a little bit more? Because I'm, I'm, I think that there are a whole lot of folks out there, a whole lot of our listeners can't understand that. Absolutely. Um, it was certainly one of the more difficult things for me to, to come to terms with uh, throughout most of, of my life. And my sense is that um, basically we come into this world, however that may happen, with a profound sense that we need to be cared for. Um, as infants, we're not really capable of giving ourselves the full amount of care, the full kinds of care that we need if we're going to thrive. And when that happens, uh, if for whatever reasons, our parents or other caregivers are not able to reassure us that we are loved unconditionally, if they're not able to model for us what it means to love unconditionally, we come away with a sense that somehow we, in this case me, I'm inadequate. And if I'm inadequate, then somehow I'm never going to fit in. And other people, people that I don't know, uh, as well as the people that I have known, are somehow going to feel like a threat to my well-being. So when we have that feeling of inadequacy, which so many people feel today mm -hmm. because they're, we're through the media barrage, the, all this facts and information that are thrown around, we're constantly being compared to something. Right. So uh, the idea is there. many people feel like I'm a few phases out of norm. I'm a few standard deviations away from the mean. Mm -hmm. uh, and they feel that, or perhaps people who drift from group to group to group, to try to fit in to some, to find their tribe, to find their own tribe. What, what, what type of suggestions would you say, particularly to young people? That's, that's really my number one concern, Joe. Mm -hmm. People who are in a process of identity formation. Okay. Um, yeah. What I have found for myself is that I can't rely on um, what we have in a culture that puts a lot of emphasis on individuality and strength and superiority as the standards for leading a true life, um, particularly for males, I think, in, in many cases. But there are versions of that for, for women as well. Um, and I can't believe in that condition I can't believe that any other person is going to be able to do for me what I'm unable to do for myself. In my own transformation, um, what I found myself doing really was going back into my sense of uh, what a recovery program would call a higher power, what a spiritual program would probably call God of some form, and finding that my sense of that spiritual figure had to be one that was unconditionally loving and uh, continuously loving, and that that was always available to me. I just needed to be receptive to it and aware of it. And this is after you've had some clarity of thought and clarity of mind and understanding and stepping back and looking at situations rather than from them. Right. Uh, we run into so many people, Joe, that they their defense mechanism gets to the point where, 
I don't care. That seems to be their shield. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even when they're hurting, when they're not invited somewhere, when they're excluded, uh, when they feel invalidated, when they're marginalized, their thoughts are to the outside world and even to themselves, Joe, I don't care. Did you ever feel like that in your life? Um, Absolutely. And it's a form of despair. It's a form of saying that there is no hope for me to change. There is no recognition that I am constantly in a process of changing and that it's up to me to make decisions um, that will enable that change to bring me out of that despair, bring me into a sense of hope. Um, In my own case, um, I got some of that from the uh, kind of spiritual core of yoga practice, um, where using the body, basically, and awareness of the body and breathing in particular are ways of uh, beginning to establish a sense of what yourself truly needs and accepting that part of it, but also accepting whatever shortcomings you have. And as long as I have a belief in some kind of um, spiritual figure that is an unending source of that trust and that compassion for self, then I can accept that if this is how, let's say, the God of my understanding sees me, this was the purpose for that God of my understanding to bring me into being, then it's not for me to deny the availability of myself here. Right, and you're beginning to find who who am I to judge. So how do you deal with individuals who maybe they're in their formative years, they're unsure of their own identity, and they feel awkward about their bodies. They feel awkward in their own bodies, and those are are tumultuous, torturous years. Yes, they are. And, um, you know, as a a kid who was a skinny runt, basically... (laughs) Uh, right up into my 20s, um, I'm aware of that sense of um, having an inadequate body. Um, I was never athletic. I never wanted to be athletic. But I also recognize that that image, that self-image, is imposed on us uh, by obviously things like advertising, but even a lot of the entertainment media. There are uh, figures that are more perfect than anyone could really live. And they're held up as models. And if we don't measure up to that model, if we don't buy the right products to make us more like those figures, or we don't um, identify um, positively with with those figures, which is pretty hard to do since they're pretty much virtual uh, experiences in our lives, then um, we're really going to go into a negative spiral about how we feel about our bodies. Um, it's, I mean, I, I was completely unaware of yoga when I was a, a teenager, but had I been able to enter into a yoga practice, what I would have discovered was that by paying attention to my body, I could find out where its strengths were. I could also find out where it, um, had true shortcomings and I could adjust what I was doing in that practice, working through my body, working through my breath, to improve what my body was capable of doing. So what you're saying is is some acceptance of the way that you are. 
please check out our website at fishingwithoutfaith.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.